It's time for Legally Speaking on CFAX 1070. Joined, as always, by Michael Mulligan from Mulligan Defense Lawyers with Legally Speaking. Good morning, Michael. Thank you for your time. Thanks very much for uh, having me. And indeed, a happy new year. I can't complain. Nobody stormed my office. Uh, on the other hand, I haven't gotten any trips to Africa. So, you know, there you are. <laughs> I was just going to say it's uh, splitting the difference between the two, one might think. Uh, what's on our docket today? Well, the uh, first case I wanted to talk about uh, is a case that involves, uh, I think, uh, some of these public health uh, uh, orders that have been uh, that have produced some controversy recently. Yes, uh, and the particular context uh, came from a BC Supreme Court decision, uh, which was uh, just recently released, and it was a decision dealing with a family court matter uh, and a dispute uh, involving. Uh, separated uh, parents who were co-parenting uh, two young uh, two young children. Yes, a uh, six-year-old and a four-year-old, uh, and the uh, problems related to the interpretation and what people are supposed to make of uh, the public health orders that have been in, put in place. Yes, and I think that, according to the judge, uh, is not an uncommon uh, problem. Uh, the uh, judge was extremely critical of how these orders. Uh, uh, read and uh, made clear that uh, even for people who, like these two individuals, are well-educated people, one uh, mother is a biologist, father an engineer, uh, and uh, the uh, rules that are in place uh, have uh, uh, made it very difficult for them to sort out whether what was going on uh, met the rules or didn't meet the rules. Yeah. Uh, and so Here's the sort of human affair, the background of the particular dispute. Mm-hmm. Uh, this couple had separated. They were waiting for a, a divorce to come through. Uh, and the uh, the former uh, husband uh, became an adherent to uh, polyamory uh, after uh, separation, uh, which he described as a belief that uh, all genders are equal, loving, uh, negotiated, individualized, and consensual. Uh, and can include uh, relationships that are not simply monogamous or heterosexual. Uh, and with that background, um, he began a relationship with a woman who was uh, remained married to uh, another man, uh, and uh, all three of them were consenting to this uh, relationship. The, uh, the woman in the new relationship with the separated uh, husband uh, would spend some time with her husband and other times uh, with, uh, with him, the mm. husband in this case. And so... The mother, the ex-wife in this case, uh, became concerned uh, that that wasn't in compliance with the uh, orders uh, made under the Public Health Act. And so she started withholding um, uh, access to the children, refusing to allow them to go over to see their father. Mm. Uh, And uh, the uh, problem uh, here uh, was with respect to how are these two people to interpret what these rules mean. Um, and uh, in that regard, the uh, the judge who had to sort out this problem, he described it this way. He said, uh, the messaging accompanying these orders, and indeed the language of the orders themselves, is fraught with inconsistency and ambiguity. And it is not surprising that reasonable people can reasonably disagree about their interpretation and application in any given circumstances. And then the judge uh, pointed out as an example uh, of that confusion uh, the fact that the Premier of British Columbia, uh, re- relying on advice from the Ministry Minister of Health, was originally planning to spend Christmas with his son and daughter-in-law and his wife, and then 
changed plans after having different provisions of the orders pointed out to him. I have a question on procedure. Would the judge be permitted to take judicial notice of that fact, or would that need to be included in applications or submissions from the parties? Yeah, that's a good question. It looks like he just sort of took judicial notice of it. I don't think he was relying upon the Premier's interpretation, but I think he was simply using it as to illustrate uh, why the order uh, or, or how the order could be viewed as confusing okay. to reasonable people who are doing their best to try to interpret it. Yes. But he then goes on to sort of look at the actual order. And when you look at the order, the judge has a good point. Uh, the order has been amended many times. Yes. Uh, and so it, it, what seems to have happened is sort of over time, uh, as new problems or, or outbreaks have developed, the order gets uh, modified in various ways to, I think, try to, uh, you know, cap off some particular problem that's been identified. And so now the order reads with a beginning that starts with it's two, and then a whole list of various people, residents of British Columbia, operators and occupants of vacation accommodation, et cetera, et cetera, down to one of them. I got a kick out of it's now also issued to the owners and operators of places. Hmm. You must say, what is a place? Yeah. You then have to look through these multiple pages of definitions. A place includes both inside and outside, an area open to the public, and areas not open to the public. Everything. It's a binary a binary modifier, and both conditions are permitted. It's like, okay, so that's just everywhere. That's it, everything everywhere. And so when you're going through this thing and you're trying to – sort of make some sense of it. And then yeah. when you're trying to apply it particularly to, you know, circumstances like the one in this case, well, you know, it raises questions like, for example, okay, uh, there's some rules that would apply to people who are living alone. Yes. Right? And so is a per- does a person who has a young child, are they living alone? Yeah. Or can they have act- or can they not have any contact with anyone? Mm-hmm. What is meant by that? What, what is meant by the term uh, vacation accommodation. Oddly, that term's been defined to include um, any place which and it gives a whole list of possible things, including tents, suites, yurts, houseboats, and various things, decks, gardens, yards, that is not the occupant's primary residence. Hmm. And so you can wind up with things like in the particular dispute that was in court on this occasion, the uh, apartment of the husband yes. uh, could be viewed as a vacation accommodation because his new partner was an occupant there, but it was not her primary residence because she spent something more than 50% of her time with her husband, Hmm. but she was staying there. And so you wind up with this, when you try to apply all of these things, you can wind up with the result that, uh, that are not intuitive. Like for example, you know, your boyfriend's apartment has become a vacation accommodation because that's not your primary uh, residence. Hmm. And then you wind up with those issues, for example, with children if an infant counts as an occupant, then no one who has an infant uh, is going to be living alone and so could have no contact with anyone else in their bubble, right? Those provisions wouldn't apply. Is that really what was intended here? Hmm. And so the point that the judges made is that these the provisions, I think in part because of how they've uh, developed yeah. uh, over time, are, have become very difficult for reasonable, smart people to try to divine 
you know, what exactly can be permitted here, right? Yeah. Um, they've even added provisions. One of the provisions they put up on their website is, do not look for loopholes or excuses to gather. <laughs> I know, I saw that. What do you yeah. mean? Well, okay, well, how are we defining loophole? Well, and we ran into this recently, Michael, because we were reviewing the regulation with respect to mandatory masks in indoor public spaces, and there is language in there that it grants exemptions to those who are not physically able to wear a mask or not able to wear a mask due to psychological impairment, but there's nothing to say who ultimately decides whether or not a person meets that test. It just doesn't exist. Well, the government tried to offer some help. The, the website, I must say, uh, chuckling, if you go to the government website where this is, they, they seem to have revived a concept from the, I think it was the early 90s, and if you remember when Microsoft Office had the paperclip yes. down in the bottom corner. Well, they've kind of revised <laughs> yes. the paperclip where you now have the BC COVID assistant where you can sort of type in questions, which I guess the computer is supposed to try to answer. I tried uh, polyamory, but it didn't have any information about that. <laughs> it's just that I rephrased the question. Um, and so there's just no doubt about it that what we've got here is, I think, obviously well-intentioned. Yes. It has clearly sort of developed over time. Uh, you know, when a, you know some issue develops, you know, you wind up with a prohibition on high intensity, uh, you know, sporting activity inside, but low intensity is somehow permitted. And then, how does that relate to different interpretations for youth and activity? It's very hard. The the, the rules now go on for some thirty three pages, uh, and uh, as is evident from the comments from this judge trying to interpret all of this. Um, it's going to be very hard for people who are doing their level best to comply with it uh, to uh, remain in compliance. Ultimately here, the, the judge concluded that uh, looking at all of these definitions, including this definition of vacation accommodation, yes. that seemed to apply even though nobody would think of your boyfriend's apartment as a vacation accommodation. Yeah. Um, weeding through all of that um, and analyzing the issue of, you know, does a young children make you no longer a sole occupant? Um, uh, the end result was that the judge concluded that the uh, ex-husband was not in breach of any of these uh, orders by having his new partner come over and stay at what then became vacation accommodation for her because she still spent time more than 50% living with her husband, uh, found that that was not in breach of any of the orders. He was not in breach of any of this. In fact, the judge concluded that he was uh, trying to be careful, both um, uh, he, the ex-husband, his, his new partner, and her husband uh, were all symptom-free and uh, ceased other, uh, all other in-person social uh, interactions. And as a result of all of that, the, the result of the particular case was to uh, refuse the mother's uh, application to uh, stop uh, access to the children, uh, to uh, order that the uh, time that she had withheld be made up so he'd get to spend time with his uh, kids. Um, and uh, there they are. But that, that just doesn't address the, the underlying issue with the, uh, with the health orders. And yes. so per perhaps a, a takeaway there would be, you know, we've been in this, very difficult circumstance now coming up on a year. Yes. You know, these orders have been amended over time. Perhaps uh, it would be uh, a, a, an opportunity to uh, revisit how all of this is drafted and to try to redraft uh, these orders in a way that uh, people can uh, reasonably interpret. 
um, you know, when, when you've got a, a Supreme Court judge um, scratching, I think it was his head, and then taking 11 pages to try to sort out, you know, what does this mean? Yeah. Uh, that ought to be a pretty clear message that uh, this is uh, not uh, easy to interpret uh, for people who are doing the best, their best. Even the premier can't uh, apparently interpret what exactly all of this uh, uh, is supposed to mean. I mean, the big concepts I think we all get, but when you get down to the minutia of it, Mm -hmm. uh, and I guess those disputes come out, I think, more often than uh, in these sort of uh, co-parenting circumstances where you might have other animosities and so on at play, um, layered on top of legitimate concerns for uh, health, um, this is how it's producing litigation. But, yes. you know, for each case that winds up in litigation and some, you know, 11-page reason decision trying to fish through how all of this uh, applies, there are going to be hundreds or thousands of people uh, that are trying to type questions into the, you know, 2021 equivalent of the office paperclip, <laughs> trying to figure out whether they're allowed to go to the, you know, basketball or not. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh, I'm history? sorry. But it's, yeah, I wonder if that counts as a legal opinion. You know, before you engage in this activity, what advice did you seek? Well, I uh, I typed it into the paperclip on this day, and I have a screenshot of that. Like, I guess, I guess that's what they would submit. Yeah, there's a concept of officially induced error. So, you know, maybe you want to take a screenshot of the paperclip's response to inquiry about whether you can or cannot go over to your uh, boyfriend's apartment, whether you'll be put in breach, depending on, uh, you know, how long you spend there uh, and how old are the children that might be there from time to time. So uh, I think that the solution isn't a better paperclip. Uh, the solution, I think, at this point needs to be a rationalization and clarification uh, of the public health orders, um, and I must say that that also uh, might have some utility too in the context of um, things like travel decisions. Yeah, right. Yeah. You know, I think one of the defenses people are raising, not in a legal defense sense, but uh, to politicians that are being have been caught out having traveled places. Is saying, well, look, you know, this isn't an order; it's a recommendation. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, fair enough, <laughs> but. You know, I, I think th- there should be some clarity there so that uh, everyone involved can know what is expected of them um, and it doesn't turn into a, a, a circumstance where, you know, um, turns out uh, that, that, you know, location was a place because it was inside or outside, public or private, and somehow you've breached the <laughs> place requirement. Um, you know, people just can't be expected to uh, be able to uh, internalize and figure out what these 33 pages of rules uh, mean. Um, so I, I think we need some, uh, perhaps a uh, redrafting and clarification of these so that people know what is expected of them. Yeah. As an ordinary person, I can read statute and I can tell you what those words say, but I usually have no idea what they mean. Legal words have specific meaning. That's one thing I have learned from all of these uh, conversations, Michael. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I, I can't figure out what many of these things mean. I read the thing in the context of this decision. You know, the judge has come to, a, I guess we have a now a decision in that particular case about what some of these things mean. But boy, oh boy, you know, somebody's trying to figure out whether uh, whether and what uh, provision might actually apply to them. Uh, there is just a, a great scope for ambiguity and typing yeah. something like don't look for loopholes at the end of it. I don't think solves the problem. <laughs> uh, let's take our break here on Legally Speaking. Michael Mulligan continues after this.
Back to Legally Speaking on CFAX 1070 with Michael Mulligan from Mulligan Defense Lawyers. Michael, I was laughing at myself during the break because I'm imagining some uh, perhaps public health experts or bureaucrats drafting these regulations for the website. One of them says to the other, what do we do about the loophole problem? The other one says, don't worry, I've got it covered. And they type, do not seek loopholes as the final condition. It's bulletproof. Print that. Um, and that's literally what ended up on the website. It's like the uh, putting up a sign that says "Follow all rules on signs." <laughs> <laughs> what else is on our agenda for today? Uh, well, the next case uh, is an unfortunate uh, saga that's been going on now for many years, uh, and uh, it relates to a fellow, a uh, Mr. Dunbar, who was convicted of first-degree murder back in October of the year 2000. Uh, he's now been in jail for, well, I guess, for 21 years or so. Um, uh, and uh, he has been uh, maintaining his innocence and uh, appealing uh, uh, his conviction ever since. Uh, his uh, appeals are uh, grounded um, uh, in an argument that he uh, received the ineffective assistance of counsel, both at his trial uh, and on his appeal. Uh, with respect to the trial, he claimed that uh, his lawyer didn't allow him to testify despite wanting to. He claimed that he had an alibi defense that wasn't presented, uh, claimed that the lawyer failed to call various witnesses and didn't order a transcript of the preliminary inquiry. Uh, but he then had an appeal to the Court of Appeal uh, where he had uh, Mr. Goldberg uh, acting for him as counsel. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, Mr. Goldberg's conduct on the appeal was such that it caused the Court of Appeal to ask the Law Society to investigate Mr. Goldberg. Um, the, the Law Society, of course, is the organization, the lawyers being a self-governing profession, that would be uh, responsible for uh, the conduct of lawyers, right? Yes. Um, and... So it's bad news when you've got the uh, Court of Appeal asking that the Law Society investigate uh, the conduct of both, well, I think in this case, both the um, the lawyer on the appeal uh, and the Law Society also investigated the uh, lawyer who conducted the original trial. So obviously there was um, at least serious cause to be concerned. The uh, lawyer who conducted the appeal in this case uh, ultimately is no longer a lawyer. He's been disciplined uh, numerous uh, times. Uh, and so the particular issue being dealt with here is that this man who's still in jail, uh, Mr. Uh, Dunbar, mm -hmm. um, was in the course of this legal odyssey, um, was able to uh, have uh, uh, possession of records from the Law Society concerning the discipline hearings and uh, investigations into his lawyer at trial and his lawyer on the appeal. But all of those documents were provided uh, on conditions that they couldn't be released publicly because they would contain information that was privileged, right? You'd have, when the Law Society is investigating the conduct of a lawyer, it could include information about other clients of the lawyer, for example, yes. legal opinions about things. Uh, and so the most, this most recent application was a, an application by Mr. Dunbar to be able to use these Law Society documents to further his continued uh, efforts to uh, uh, overturn his conviction. Um, those continued efforts would include, and I should say he, after losing in the Court of Appeal, he applied for leave to appeal to the Supreme Court of Canada and was refused. So he wants to try again to go to the Supreme Court of Canada, or failing that, 
uh, make a uh, application to the federal minister of justice uh, claiming there was a miscarriage of justice and he was wrongly convicted. But at the end of the day, uh, the uh, judge hearing his application to be able to use these law society records uh, uh, was denied um, because the uh, the judge had to weigh the privilege uh, being claimed by the law society over those uh, documents relating to the lawyers. Right? You don't want to be releasing you know private information about those lawyers' other clients um, against the potential. Uh, benefit or use that would have uh, for Mr. Dunbar uh, in trying to establish uh, that he was wrongly convicted uh, or received the inefficient, ineffective assistance of counsel that led to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the uh, the upshot here is that uh, Mr. Dunbar, although uh, he's had counsel review these, I think it was 20 boxes of material concerning the investigation into those uh, two lawyers, he won't be able to use those uh, to further his continued uh, efforts to uh, appeal to the Supreme Court of Canada again uh, or ask the Minister of Justice to review the case. Um, and that's because uh, the uh, judge wasn't satisfied uh, that they would be likely relevant uh, and he had to weigh that against the uh, privacy and privilege claims being made by the Law Society. Uh, the takeaway here, I think, the big takeaway, though, is mm-hmm. just how damaging uh, it can be for people when you don't have uh, counsel conducting themselves in a uh, potentially in an appropriate fashion. Uh, and on that score, there, there's obviously a real reason to be concerned here, given the uh, fact that the Court of Appeal uh, sought the uh, asked the Law Society to investigate the lawyer who conducted the appeal, and that lawyer is no longer practicing and has been disciplined uh, numerous times. When you look at the Law Society website, I find 14. Um, occasions that a lawyer wound up being uh, in hearings uh, and ultimately is no longer allowed to practice. Michael Mulligan, we thank you as always for the benefit of your knowledge and insight, legally speaking, during the second half of our second hour every Thursday on CFAX 1070. Until next week. Thank you so much. Stay safe. You too. Bye now.